Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoger. Was that the right intro? <laughs> yeah. I did it right? Yeah. Okay. It sounded normal to you? All right. Well. Yeah. This happens to me whenever I finish a drawing. Like, I like, scan it to make sure everything's good. And then, like, of course, <laughs> after I share it, there's, like, one red dot yeah. or something that's, like, off. Yeah. So there might be something like that in the intro, but it sounded good to me. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to exude confidence and keep on going. <laughs> We're talking about video games this week, believe it or not. Yeah. I think, in, interestingly enough, there was an Xbox event uh, in the past week. I, I think everyone has been like waiting with bated breath for the Nintendo Direct, which is like so obviously coming because it yeah. happens every year <laughs> at either right. the end of January or the beginning of February. And this is the year that Zelda is officially coming out, the new Zelda. Right. In like a couple months. And we've seen like maybe three trailers for it total and don't really know anything about it. And people of- are still calling it Breath of the Wild 2, even though we have the title, yeah. which I think is very funny. I'm calling it Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah. It is just how much time has passed that like even now we know that truth and yet it's still breath of the wild too when i was in college uh there the the freshman dorm was called north hall uh in the college that i was at when we moved in it was it was a new building uh that they had built for the freshmen and uh about halfway through the semester some extremely rich people in florida came in and like sponsored it or whatever i don't know what they did but they got their name put up on the wall and it became uh i'm not gonna call them out i'm not gonna call them out by name but they changed the name to their names uh and we all like revolted and refused to call it by their name (laughs) we all had to attend the ceremony and then from that point on we were like no it's still north hall for us yeah Uh, and that's how i feel about about tears of the kingdom i think breath of the wild 2 is uh is a fun name and i like the idea of there being a 2 in zelda canon yeah other than even zelda 2 is link's adventure yeah. It's, it's kind of almost a bad omen now because the only one that people call Zelda <laughs> 2 is like the bad one. That's true. So That's a good point. We'll have to wait and see. So uh, all of that. Say, so, yeah, there was a Nintendo. No, what am I saying? There was an Xbox <laughs> Direct. And I think it, it was an interesting thing. And I, I, I wrote about this a little bit. But the week before this big event, which they were calling the Xbox Developer Direct, Microsoft laid off a shitload of people like in the Xbox world, like in the Xbox side of things, they laid off a bunch of people. And then I was like, well, in literally one week, exactly one week's time, you're going to have a thing called the Xbox Developer Direct, where it's I'm sure going to open with a sizzle reel of like how great the Xbox developers are yeah. and how much we love our employees. It was right. just like, so I don't know. I immediately that killed all of the hype that I had for this event because I, I couldn't help even while I was watching, it, I couldn't help but watch it, which it did open that way, by the way, I couldn't help but watch it and just be like, man, this is like such bad taste. You know, it just, yeah. it just felt so fucking gross. Um, so I just, I, I wanted to shout that out specifically because that's the thing that's happening in every industry simultaneously right now, but this was a more egregious public facing version of it that I thought was really upsetting. Uh, so just wanted to mention that, I guess, and, and say, you know, our hearts go out to all the people that, that got laid off over at Microsoft, uh, really sucks. They announced a bunch of things, specifically the thing that we wanted to talk about today was Hi-Fi Rush, which is a game that dropped day and date with that event i don't think maybe we knew about it beforehand i'm not really sure i wasn't there was like a leak going around but like not i didn't see a lot of buzz around it because a leak for something we don't know what it is yet is usually not like a headline yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it it was by um it's by tango gameworks who are best known for the evil within games and also last year two years ago was uh ghostwire tokyo was their most recent game i believe it was last year yeah so mostly kind of like survival horror-y or just more kind of horror adjacent stuff uh 
uh, Hi-Fi Rush, extremely not any of that. Um, real A real left turn for them as a studio and really surprising for it to just like come out of nowhere, fully finished day and date on Game Pass. It's like technically, I guess, the first big release of the year for Xbox. And uh, you and I have been playing it and liking it a lot. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, um, for actually multiple reasons, it reminds me of Gravity Rush, similar because mm. the creator of Silent Hill made gravity rush and gravity rush 2 which is like i yeah it seems like if you make a big horror series in games eventually you're like just give me a saturday morning cartoon like i need i need something else in this life it's like the Um, it's like the opposite of the jordan peele situation right like jordan peele spent so long doing sketch comedy and improv comedy is like okay but deep down i'm all about get out and nope (laughs) yeah there's an interesting connection there i mean it's been said many times that like comedy and horror share a lot of like creative energy weirdly yeah and even just watching key and peel like jordan peel was doing horror on that show too like it's there, true. there's some yes. really out there sketches and i think the similarities are both comedy and horror are trying to get a response from you you know there's setup, there's payoff there's yeah. there's all that kind of stuff but outside of that um yeah hi-fi rush came out i, I think there's so much i want to discuss about this game and the game itself and It's been really cool to see the overwhelmingly positive response to it. And I'm not the first to point this out, but I can't help but feel like this game so benefits from there being no hype. And that sounds like a backwards compliment. But like, Mm -hmm. I think we're in a time, especially for games, where like a game gets a trailer that's just the title of it six years before it comes (laughs) out. And like, even if it's great, it has to be like a miracle for it to match the level of hype over that time. Yeah. Because if you I mean, that's kind of why I'm like, I'm not pessimistic for for Breath of the Wild 2 or Tears of the Kingdom, but like I don't expect it to be the same kind of like landscape shifting moment in time that Breath of the Wild was. I'm expecting it to be a really good iteration on that. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be that. And that's kind of what brings me back to Hi-Fi Rush. It's like we've kind of been conditioned to a hype over a game or build hype for something over the course of at least two or three years mm-hmm. every time something is announced and also in the AAA space I mean, this game is published by Bethesda and like I wouldn't say it's like a AAA game but like it's you know a ma- it's a major publisher releasing a new game with like press around it yeah and rarely has that type of event ever led to like here is a new idea with no marketing before today and it's out yeah <laughs> and I think that that's really cool and exciting and you know we've mentioned this before but and i don't, I don't want to like give the listener like whiplash here because we just pointed out like these are giant corporations we're not like trying to uh, become fanboys of any of them but like i do think microsoft is doing really interesting stuff with what they're choosing to produce you know mm-hmm. we had pentiment last year and i kind of consider hi-fi rush to be along a similar train of thought where i think microsoft or xbox specifically is still trying to figure out their place in the games industry yeah like it's interesting. Uh, I, and, and i think that because of that there seems to be a a much greater and more visible willingness to produce creative ideas yeah at least from what we're seeing and i think it's it's kind of in stark contrast to what sony's doing where i've been thinking about this a lot i've been thinking about like the 360 ps3 era and mm. the Wii, where like I think you know we in terms of sales, I think won that generation. But I think the 360 seemed to have at least the second most appeal. PS3 was sort of like a weirder time for Sony because it launched and it was so expensive. 
and there really wasn't a lot for it. Right. And like PS2 and PS1, there was great third party support, but that was an era where Sony had yet to really figure out like, what is our like first party vibe? Totally. You know, like I think you could see a lack of distinction there because of Sony all-stars where it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like you're kind of grasping for a brand where there isn't one. Yeah. It was like, they had like uncharted they tried. I mean, yeah, I, I think this is, this is a really interesting comparison point because they were trying a lot of stuff, throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. They eventually figured out uncharted. And then towards the end of that life cycle, the last of us launched right Right, the very end that was one of the last ps3 games exactly and i I feel like we're kind of in a similar situation with xbox i think this is maybe where you were getting to but we're in a similar situation with xbox right now where the old standbys that they had in the same way that playstation couldn't continue to rely on jack and daxter and sly cooper and ratchet and clank at that point they, they just weren't bringing in the sales that they needed and needed to pivot in some way xbox is kind of in a similar place right now where like halo infinite didn't stand the test of time or like really linger uh it seems like there were some kind of managerial issues inside at 343 studios that kind of led to that game not being supported in the way i think most people wanted or hoped where has gears of war been you know since the last yeah. one released it feels like forza is like the one holdover from the xbox 360 era and even well, that it's the perfect is, game so yeah, yeah i agree i i think yeah. i think everyone would like forza horizon but like forza as a brand is still kind of more niche than I think Xbox needs it to be, to be totally. like the flagship, you know, like no one's, I, I'm not gonna say nobody, but most people are not buying an Xbox specifically just to play Forza right now. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, thinking about the first Xbox alongside the PS2 and GameCube, that was a really harmonious era of third party support. Yeah. Where, where like, everyone was making everything for every system. Everyone was making yeah. So you could actually say like, well, I want to play Halo. So I guess I'll get an I Xbox. I want to play the over the hedge game. Do I want to get it on my <laughs> Xbox or my Game Boy Advance? But I mean, there's a reason why <laughs> PS2 won that generation in sales because like, think about how many PS2 exclusives there were. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying a system should have exclusives. I think we're past that. But what I'm trying to say is that we're now in an era where Sony has kind of figured out what they want their first party brand to be. But I think that's actually kind of holding them back in some ways because everything is sort of adhering to a mold for them now. And it's, Whereas, a, it's a really expensive mold. is the Right. Thing. It's a super expensive mold. It's an expensive mold that seems to resent being a video game slowly but surely. Yeah. Like, you know, I think I, I love like I love love Uncharted 4 Ratchet and Clank Spider-Man God of War they're all great I think the first time I started to feel worried is like Forbidden West and uh Ragnarok like again those are both great games but I'm just like I feel like I'm getting a little bit of deja vu now with Mm -hmm. like just the pacing and the feel of this yeah I agree with you and I think what's nice to see about what Microsoft is doing or what Xbox is doing is like they're they're producing these really interesting ideas that are risky but they're also not trying to build another fucking universe like it's not like oh I I don't want a fighting game Game where chai fights the guy from pentiment like I, it's like it's just they're just throwing stuff out there you know it's sort of like a, a better version of what netflix is trying to do where netflix is like constantly producing these original shows that no one is seeing and then they get axed and it's i think it's different for tv because you need that like retained audience yeah whereas with a game like hi-fi rush you could be like okay well i'll try that it's on game pass and then you'll see if you like it or not and there's yeah. like it's a little bit easy so it's not one-to-one i just think that like i i i think from a big major publisher with a budget that is greater than most why not take risks yeah and it's kind of it's kind of ironic that we see such safety and like 
riskless behavior in a lot of the biggest publishers because they have the most money to like spend. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think Xbox coming at it from the perspective of like they they haven't made. I mean, as far as we know, I not not a far cry to guess this, but they haven't made Game Pass work financially for them yet. Right. Yeah. Like, like Game Pass isn't at the point where they're like, yeah, we have enough subscribers on a month to month basis people are retaining and this is all, you know, financially sound and we're making enough money off of this to like make Game Pass work forever. And when you need to be taking a bunch of risks, it's nice that those risks are coming in the form of like actually new IP um, and not just like technological backend or like trying weird shit with like subscription payments or whatever. You know, it's nice that the answer is Pentiment and Hi-Fi Rush and things like that. Absolutely. And I, I just think it's it's cool to see, like, I don't have the gift of uh, clairvoyance, so I don't know, like, what would have happened if this game was announced a year before it came out, but I can't help but feel like it would not be getting the attention it is. I think if this was announced yeah. and we had, like, a year to stew on it and then it came out, I think people, it was, like, it's a great game and we'll get to the game soon, but I don't know if it would have the same, like, wonder of surprise. I think a lot of what was helping this game is like, oh, my God, like, I had no idea what this was. This is amazing. It's it's so exciting to be excited, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. You know, we're especially like in in other media, too, like with film. I mean, you know, Marvel movies are planned like 20 years in advance. Like, you know, it's, it's just... <laughs> I don't know anything, <laughs> but uh, you know what I'm trying to say. I, th I think you could see that, honestly, in just the announcement trailer for this game, right? Like the yeah. announcement trailer for this game came out. I, To be perfectly frank, I, I had this on the TV in the background while I was working, so I, d I wasn't actually watching the event with sound on. I just was looking at visuals and seeing if there was anything that looked interesting. And at a certain point, I was I had kind of stopped paying attention because I was like writing an email or something, and I looked back up at the TV, and I saw this like beautiful, what looked like a cartoon video game this dude like beating the shit out of people with with the v-neck guitar i was like this looks really cool and i hopped into the discord for a second to see what people were saying and everyone was like what the fuck is this dialogue like this yeah this sounds like shit and i was like oh man it looks so cool I, I didn't turn the volume on but i went back and watched that trailer again later and like i get what people were talking about and imagine if that trailer had come out a year ago like imagine right. if that was what we got and then for the next year it was like a marketing blitz of trying to get people to understand what that dialogue is like in context because in the context of the trailer it does sound awful and in the video game it's not bad at all really yeah the trailer was kind of a mixed bag for me because again like i was really interested in the concept of this uh you know sort of devil may cry game but it's also a rhythm game yeah and that seems like a great marriage because i feel like devil may cry and bayonetta are games where the the challenge is less am i gonna beat the enemy and it's more how stylishly can i beat mm -hmm. all the enemies and there's sort of a score chase element to that process and i think uh, more specifically there is a rhythm to making yeah. making those attacks land in the way that you want them to weirdly enough god of war and god of war ragnarok both have that there's a yeah. piece of the skill tree that you get uh, down the line in both god of war and ragnarok where if you're hitting somebody with an axe or you're another weapon uh or something <laughs> if you hit somebody with an axe and then you stop for a beat kratos will like switch stances and then do a different style of combos and yeah. like that's a rhythm game also yeah right i think there's definitely a big venn diagram there mm -hmm. so i love the idea and i love the look of it and because it was on game i mean it was the perfect you know pitch for a game on game pass where i'm like there's enough working for me here that i'll give it a shot yeah but like yeah i mean the trailer opens with like you know a freeze frame and then yep that's me and you're probably wondering how I ended up here. Well, it's pretty standard. Which, like, 
even ironically is poison played out like yeah. <laughs> it's like that has that has never really been funny and like is maybe the worst way to introduce a game i think uh someone in the discord shared on on mastodon i believe like the fact that this game opened with that and then immediately endeared everyone to it is like the best accomplishment of it like it, <laughs> it, it, it it's first words where you're wondering how i got here and all of my twitter timeline is like praise for this game yeah yeah it could it could yeah i, I think it, it set the stage to be um <laughs> over the hedge core i think <laughs> <laughs> and ended up being like it's good it's a good video game yeah so i guess maybe we can pivot to the game itself yeah um i i really love it you and i have talked a lot about rhythm games in in more recent years especially after we got elite beat agent pills after our <laughs> ds episode <laughs> yeah and i always really love like there's also been a lot of attempts lately to have or in the past like five years or so to have games that are like have rhythm game elements incorporated into something else. So we have like Crypt of the Necro Dancer and Cadence of Hyrule that are kind of taking like a dungeon crawler roguelike esque approach at rhythm games. Uh, Soundfall was another one that came out recently that was sort of like a Diablo esque game with rhythm game elements. Um, I think it's a really, really cool genre to explore because I think it's like we had in the U.S. at least we mm. had like the DDR craze and the Guitar Hero Rock Band era. Yeah. And and since then, it's kind of fallen back into more of a niche interest, which is fine. But I just think that there's so there's so much joy to be found in a rhythm game, but it's also extremely hard to pull off. And it's also hard to have accessibility because the whole game is about rhythm. Yeah. So like you have to kind of go the extra mile to make sure it will be accessible within that structure totally so anyway hi-fi rush i think is one of the best executions of that marriage of concepts like taking a you know let's call it third person action game yeah and incorporating rhythm game elements it works really well it does try to do a lot with that like there are a lot of mechanics and the game's tutorial is like not very graceful like i actually do appreciate it because like the game wants to set you up to succeed and there's a lot of mechanics going on Mm -hmm. and once it actually lets you play it's like incredible but it does take a little bit too long to get there and i can't help but feel like they could have let us learn by doing that's subjective but like yeah that's like my major gripe with the game is like there's a like when you first get the parry mechanic they like literally don't let you move until you've done successful parries but in the actual game parries are like mostly an optional thing Mm -hmm. that you'll only really be doing if you want to like get the perfect possible score so like stuff like that is a little bit maybe too much but i think they kind of have to make sure you get it because there is a lot going on in this game by like level three yeah so it's kind of i can see why they did it but i I think it could have been done in a more graceful way yeah the first level tutorial experience is I, I don't know how long it took you, but it took me just under an hour to get through that first level. And that did feel a little bit like a slog because at that point I wasn't totally bought into like what the game even is at that point. You know, yeah. I was still kind of coming off the heels of experiencing that trailer and thinking like, OK, well, I'm going to check this out and see how I feel about it, uh, th- you know, before really hearing anything about it outside of AJ saying that they liked it a lot. Shout out to AJ. Yeah. AJ pushed me to try it. Yeah. Thank you. Pushed us yeah. over the edge. But that said, uh, you know, the game opens with this character named Chai who like doesn't have enough money to live really and seems to submit himself to some kind of human testing to get like a robot arm grafted onto where his normal arm would be. And in the process of that happening, uh, 
they also graft his iPod to his heart. Um, yeah, it's sort of like a very dystopian unemployment office where like yeah. they kind of figure out what you're suited for and give you like a robotic augmentation for that. Yeah. So he's suited to be like a, a garbage man, basically. Right. But because the iPod accidentally falls into his chest, he has like he has this pipe that's magnetic to pick up trash, but it becomes a guitar made of garbage, which right. I honestly really love that visually. Yeah, me too. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a really cool visual. But uh, what that what that means in the context of the video game is he sees the entire world as though it is reacting and responding to the music that is playing on the iPod that's connected to his heart. So he sees the entire world as if it's a rhythm game, even though it's implied that the rest of the world does not see it that way. So everyone that he's interacting with does not see, you know, does yeah. not see like the flowers and the trees bouncing to the beat of whatever song is playing. It's very similar to Ichiban in uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, mm. who sees the world through the lens of Dragon Quest. That's a great so that's point. Why yeah. So, uh, you know, going back to the trailer and like us kind of being on the fence of like the game's writing and everything, I actually really love it. I mean, it's nothing that it's not trying to really say too much, but like there's a really interesting, fully realized world here. And the more like referential and self aware dialogue fits the tone well enough that it doesn't come off like. <sighs> There's been a lot of recent discourse about this style of dialogue. Yeah. And I feel like I think we're just at a point where like we're societally sick of this sort of Whedon-esque dialogue because it's been sort of force fed to us for 10 years. Right. So I think there's sort of a knee jerk response to anything that kind of resembles that. But like that type of dialogue isn't inherently bad. It's how it's utilized. Yeah. And I think in this game, there's very much like a it, it feels like a really good Cartoon Network show. And there's also sort of like kind of like Venture Brothers for kids kids energy going on was sort of just like the the undercurrent of like satire and like mm -hmm. you know all these characters kind of fit certain like shonen anime or like superhero larger than life tropes but they're all like kind of pathetic which i think is like what endears you to some of the characters and what makes the villains kind of funny i think that's the big thing here and and that's that's the big point of dissonance i think between the trailer and actually playing the game is that the trailer wants you to think that the game is doing all of this earnestly and the actual game itself kind of understands and points out the fact that like chai at least as your protagonist is delusional i mean before yeah. before any of this even happens to him he writes down on on the like intake form that he's a rock star even though he doesn't know how to play guitar even you know and doesn't have a band or anything uh, he just like likes music and i think that 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 by itself that understanding that like this this dude sees the world through a lens that is like completely disconnected from reality already and then he gets this augmentation that like really just kind of amplifies that to the nth degree is what makes his dialogue work so when he's talking about how like cool and great he is most of the other characters will then bounce off of him and be like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Yeah. Like you're, you're lame as hell. <laughs> yeah. That weirdly is what endears you to him, or at least in my case, that's mm -hmm. why I, I like him because he's not like, I think there's like clear comparisons, like a Scott Pilgrim or Travis touchdown type character. Yeah. And like, not that those characters are bad, but I think there's sort of like a accidental or not celebration of that type of guy in the other two. Whereas in this one, it's much more like almost like a Don, quixote energy where it's like yeah. there's something endearing about the innocence to his delusions but like he would not be anywhere without peppermint and like the people around him who are like giving his energy purpose yeah yeah 
Yeah. And I'm curious to see how that's interrogated. Because at least in the comics with Scott Pilgrim, there's like eventually kind of like a deconstruction of that type of character through the ensemble. And I'm wondering if like there's something similar here. But I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of references. There's a lot of like clear, like there's a whole villain who's all about like kind of JoJo poses. And, you know, I, I've caught a lot of references to like other games in the dialogue, but it all works because it's not like usually it's not relying on you getting the reference. Like it's it's a fine line of dialogue as its own. And if you do get the reference, it's a kind of fun. I don't yeah. know. I, I think like it, it I think this game is pretty genuinely funny at times, especially in like the more slapstick moments like yeah there's a point where chai is like up against this enemy he can't be and he's like all right let me reason with them he just gets punched in the face so hard that it's like yeah the scene in uh that andy sandberg movie where he's like a daredevil where he just falls hot down rod, the mountain yeah. yeah it's like it's like a hot rod-esque like tumble of failure yeah. um and it just I think what really helps the dialogue too is like the vocal performances are incredible. Yeah. There's some really big names in the cast. Uh, a lot of people from Persona actually, which like this is the first time I've seen kind of the influence of Persona in a game that is not the genre of Persona, but like mm. the way this game incorporates like special moves with other characters and just the way the like the dialogue portraits look and feel and just the, the mood, the sort of like fun, very colorful filter over what is essentially like rebellion. Mm. Um, reminds me a lot of Persona 5 it, much much lower stakes and like well it's it's equally high stakes but it's much less serious and, and not really tackling huge issues but there's definitely like an anti-corporate vibe to the game but it's like fairly surface level it's yeah, not like right. trying to really interrogate anything it just sort of like there's a big bad corporation that we're we have to fight yeah not to make this the second time i've referenced this this series uh in this episode weirdly enough but it, it does remind me a little bit of the first sly cooper in a way yeah. where it's like yeah there's just like this criminal organization and you just need to take out the big bads of each one and that's very similar to how this game is structured where you're essentially going around this facility taking out the leaders of each of the different divisions of this corporation so like you start off in i think it's security and then go to r&d and so on and so on yeah and i, I just think the the other characters i have really been enjoying like the villains are a lot of fun they're very over the top yeah and i think peppermint who's the first character you meet is this like hacker who helps you out and she's like a well-needed like dose of of realism that kind of th their like quippy mm -hmm. dialogue is honestly a lot of fun because like she kind of keeps chai grounded yeah and then eventually there are more characters you meet and i don't know i just I, I find that all really endearing and i think it's the thing it has going for is it's very simple it's not really trying to like and this goes back to sort of the marketing of the game and, and I think why people are so hungry for games like this. It's not trying to be the biggest, most cinematic game ever made. It's it's just like a game that is built around a really cool idea that hasn't been done before. And it really just wants you to have a lot of fun. <laughs> and like that's kind of it. And I yeah. re like it's so needed. It's just like that that type of creative approach I, I find really resonates. And it's also like I think it's hard to do simple well which is why i think it's like you know i look at shows like you know the sort of cartoon network or nickelodeon shows that like stand above the rest mm. i think seemingly can feel simple or like sort of toned down for kids but there's a lot of challenge in like capturing that vibe that like anyone can enjoy this mm -hmm. and have that sort of energy and color to it um and this world just feels very like i, I want to know more about this place like i want to know more about these characters yeah in a way that's not like deep but it's like okay i'm enjoying them enough that i'm like invested in what's happening even though the game is fairly light mm -hmm. um 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think speaking narratively, I think the game is pretty light, and I think that's kind of helpful considering the game mechanically is pretty dense. Yes, because um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think the first hour of the game, as we were alluding to, is you know uh, the first stage, and it's the tutorial, and it's kind of just like teaching you the basics of the game. Which, as I was mentioning before, you can see the world kind of bouncing in time with whatever track is playing in that level. Um, so that'll be like lights on walls flashing to the beat or you know like trees or garbage cans or whatever kind of like bouncing back and forth or just graphics in the world changing on beat you can at any point turn on an actual like sync meter at the bottom of the screen which will show you exactly where the beat is but i've actually found the game to be a lot easier if i have that turned off and if i'm relying on the rest of the world in my own like me too it is less to look at yeah, yeah. exactly i think that that has uh, led to more success for me but the way that it works essentially is as you move through the game and as you're fighting enemies you need to hit light attacks and heavy attacks on beat um, with whatever song is playing. So light attacks can be every single beat. Heavy attacks can be every other beat. And that's just like the basic kind of uh, core of, of the gameplay, which I think at the beginning can already feel a little bit like, okay, that's that's like a lot and it's going to take me a little bit to get over. And then they continue to layer more and more things on it, which is I think why the tutorial feels a little bit like kind of overlong and a little bit tough because once you get into the second level and you go in armed with all the knowledge that you learned from the first level, it's like, oh, this is really intuitive and really cool. You just need the time to figure it out. And I don't think the first level really gives you that time because they're constantly introducing new things that could have been spaced out, I think, maybe over a longer period of time. Because in levels two and three, they also are introducing new mechanics, but you're given enough time with those to feel comfortable before they introduce another one. So by the time you get to parrying, which I think is at some point in level three, you're already pretty well equipped to understand you know light attacks heavy attacks dashing to dodge you can dash on the beat uh, and if you dash on the beat you can do three dashes in in succession you have your you know second character who then has their own attack and their own ability that'll help you deal with certain enemies you have like a grappling hook that you can also do on beat for different things like there's a bunch of stuff going on and then they're like okay now that you've understood all of that now we can introduce <laughs> parrying to you and i'll be honest kind of like you were alluding to before when they introduced parrying i was like this is actually one mechanic too many for me. Yeah, I, I think this game would be better without parrying, honestly. I think I think you were right, though, in that the way they teach you parrying where you're stuck in one spot and you need to parry these attacks is really, really different from the way parrying works actually in gameplay yeah. where you you can parry if you want to and as you said it's an option and not like a mandatory thing that needs to happen there are some attacks that it's helpful to parry um because you know, they have like sekiro-esque uh like parry like posture meters but yeah it's a bit there's an enemy where if they like grab you you're kind of thrown into sort of like a fighting game like you gotta time this yes. right and that's i love that like that's great yeah but, yeah I, I think that's really cool but i i think the ways in which parrying actually manifests in gameplay feels a lot more natural than it does in the tutorial mode moment yeah. so that I, I that was the moment where i was like i might put this game down you know when they introduced parrying i was like oh my god i don't know if i'm ever gonna figure this out and then once i started actually using it in the game it's like oh no this is pretty natural and feels like finally i have something to do with the b button <laughs> yeah i really love though the way they interpret summoning the other characters to help it reminds mm -hmm. me a lot of um in marvel vs. capcom 3 uh you have a team of three but if you tap one of the bumpers like another character on your team will pop in and do a yes. quick move and then pop out and that's essentially what it is like so Peppermint is your first friend who helps you out and she just comes in and, and shoots the enemy with her guns. And it's also to the rhythm. So like uh, going back to what you're saying where it's easier to sort of feel the rhythm versus like spotting it. But like yeah. timing like a combo and then 
pulling out peppermint and then doing a special attack like it's it's thrilling every time it's mm-hmm. so fun yeah. and I, I think it's sort of like i'm i'm hoping that by level four because i'm at the end of level three currently i'm hoping at level four the game just like lets me because i think that the beauty of games like devil may cry and bayonetta is that they let you kind of be creative with how you take on like they kind yeah. of give you a bunch of bad guys and then it's sort of like playing with action figures at that point where you're just like mm-hmm. i'm gonna like do these combos in the way i want to and i've really need the game to let go of my hand at this point and not give me a new mechanic for like an hour i just want to like get to enjoy everything i have because when i'm able to do that it's incredible yeah and again i think it's like it's worth stressing how hard it is to put like we've seen so many games try to merge rhythm games with something else and like varying degrees of success you know i I always appreciate the attempt and i think this game has come the closest to really like fully achieving that idea Mm. but yeah i think the feedback from the controller is also great and i also really like the music and it's interesting because the music is a combination of like you know songs that are already out from various artists like the first boss is to a nine inch nail song yeah but there's also songs that are just original songs from like either this team I, i don't know who exactly makes it but it just kind of credits like original work from like bethesda or somewhere Mm -hmm. and it flows really naturally a level will kind of have like the sort of like vibe of a song and then it builds up and then when you get to the boss like the full song with vocals is playing yeah and i really love that crescendo and it all kind of works like I, i was kind of worried based on the concept of the game that like the songs would feel a little bit too mismatched or like all over the place and like they kind of adhere to a pretty like similar vibe throughout with enough variety that it's not boring yeah it's all gonna be like in four four so you're never gonna be like it's it's not like an everything in its right place like five eight (laughs) scenario um which is good Uh, i love that though and it's all like kind of really the only thing that's changing is the bpm like yeah the, the, the actual like the, the beats per minute, sorry, uh, is the only thing that's changing, which really you can you can lock into immediately like that. that that's never going to be a problem for you, really. What's interesting, too, is that there's a streamer mode, which I thought was a clever addition because it essentially lets you play the game without the licensed songs. Yeah. So if you want to stream it, you can just play the original songs that they've made. Yeah. Um, which that's is a smart. cool idea. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's definitely a big issue on Twitch right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, you'll play a game and the song from the game counts as a copyright strike. It's like, okay, cool, yeah. thanks. <laughs> but, yeah, man, Hi-Fi Rush is really good. It's, like, the first really big surprise of the year for me, I think, outside of Fire Emblem Engage, which I kind of just hoped to like, and then I ended up liking it. Uh, but yeah. Hi-Fi Rush was, like, really came out of nowhere and uh, is great. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people, too, compare it to sort of, like, eras of the past. Like, it does kind of feel like... A PS2 or like GameCube, yeah, GameCube era, Game Dreamcast, even. Yeah, which I've noticed a lot of like, like, dude, the Dreamcast is a beloved system, but I've weirdly seen a lot of Dreamcast references lately, and I feel like we chose a good year to cover the Dreamcast. It does feel that way, yeah. But yeah, I think Hi-Fi Rush is awesome. If you have Game Pass, uh, it's on Xbox systems and PC currently. I wonder if they'll ever port it, but for now, this is the only ways to play it. I would recommend it if you are, like if anything we said kind of like makes you feel curious, give it a shot. But I would say play up until the first boss. Like once you fight the first boss, I think you'll know whether or not you're going to like it or not. Yeah. And I think it just gets better from there. There's also some really interesting upgrades that kind of remind me of like Muso games a bit where like you can spend gears to unlock other combos. That's one of my favorite things about I, I think that system. It, it weirdly enough also reminds me of God of War. Yeah, absolutely. In that 
the God of War upgrade tree also lets you get a bunch of combos that I just end up buying always just on the off chance I do them by accident. Like I'm never, <laughs> I ne- yeah. I'm never actively trying to hit any of those combos in God of War. Usually I will just like do them by accident. And I'll be glad that I unlocked it. And I, I felt the exact same thing here in Hi-Fi Rush where I find myself kind of leaning into doing certain combos completely by accident. But because I've unlocked, you know, that specific button press counts as like a big action. I'll get some kind of damage buff from it, which is nice. Yeah, and the, you can also add like permanent upgrades to Chai. So like you can increase his max health or eventually you get slots for chips yeah. that are like passive bonuses, kind of like Nero and Amada. <laughs> and uh, you can also upgrade those individual chips. There's a lot of creativity on how you customize Chai. And you can also uh, buy attacks for the other characters and special attacks. So yeah. like there's also kind of like a limit break meter that fills up and then you do a special attack. So the first one I got was Chai just drinks a can of soda and is like heals himself. But then I got one that's like a sort of all out attack with peppermint. That was too cool to pass up. Mm-hmm. And like that's I, I don't see any reason to change that attack at this point. Um, <laughs> it's just this game makes me smile, which is like a very silly thing to say. But like I haven't played a game in a while that's like so interested in making you feel like joyful. Yeah. And it's nice to have that experience, especially like out of nowhere with, you know, no preconceived notion of what this game was other than the trailer looks kind of bad. Yeah. And then being proven wrong immediately. The two the two kind of takeaways for me after this are I really want to check out the, I, I would say the other big smash a rhythm game up with another genre genre game that that launched last year metal hellsinger uh, i yeah, really want to check that out too. which is also available on game pass so i, I feel cool. like no reason to not check that one out and I've, I've heard really good things about it um i also do want to check out actually i'm, I'm gonna add a third game to this list i do want to check out uh ghostwire tokyo um which Me i too. know is a game that didn't get reviewed super well but some people in the discord really like it and anytime i see people really going to bat for a game that was like poorly reviewed. I'm I'm interested. <laughs> That's when my ears yeah. break up. I it's it seems like there is something interesting to be found in that game. Um, so I want to check that out. And the third one, and I think just to call out the discourse directly, is Forspoken, which is that new Square Enix game, uh, which yeah. is what the dialogue in this game is getting compared to a lot because it's kind of going after a similar kind of tongue-in-cheek, like self-aware meta commentary on the fantasy genre, which some people have enjoyed and some people have found uh, to be really disappointing. I'll link to in, in the show notes, I'll link to Austin Walker uh, previously of Waypoint um, wrote a really great piece just about kind of like breaking down why this works and why this doesn't specifically in Forspoken, which I, I think is really interesting. But that having been said, experiencing Hi-Fi Rush and kind of coming out the other end being like, yeah, this this works in this context. I'm curious how Forspoken feels outside of trailers. Like I'm yeah. curious how that game feels like actually in the moment in the game. Yeah, I I think uh, for me, like that type of because this has been like talked about before. I think it kind of has reached a boiling point now for whatever reason. But you and I talk about this kind of writing, too, because I think that like for me, it's not the tone, but it's like when there's a movie or any piece where like there is actually a serious moment happening where like the Mm. stakes are high and then there's like a line thrown in that like diffuses the situation. Sometimes that can feel like this isn't the character speaking, but it's the writer worrying that the moment was maybe too much and needed to throw in a quip. Right. Or, yeah, yeah. Like the the writer is uncomfortable with their own work. Right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, so it, that can take you out of it. Cause that to me is the equivalent of like a stand up going like, well, that joke sucked. Right. Yeah. And it's like, now you're just diffusing, like you're taking me out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Chai and, uh, and Peppermint, 
government being like like the first line that was like more self-aware that i noticed was uh they're like talking at the hideout for the first time which you can hang out in between levels and uh peppermint like, reveals a little bit of her backstory and shy goes like oh lonely hacker with a mysterious past not cliche at all and then she goes yeah tell me about the slacker who finally gets his big chance i'm like <laughs> that, yeah. that it was funny because it was like th- this is how these characters talk peppermint is very sarcastic yeah kind of hot-headed and like very quick and and you know chai is a dumbass who has no filter so like that was a fun moment between them mm-hmm. even though it was pointing out their archetypes it wasn't the writer being like isn't this dumb that we're telling this story and to yeah. me that's the distinction and that can vary like it's not like it's it's sort of it's more about confidence than it is about that specific style of writing in Mm -hmm. my opinion yeah and and i do think in the case of forespoken specifically i do think there's something to be said for the idea of taking somebody literally i i think she's from new york the the protagonist of that game is from new york taking somebody from new york who's kind of like down on her luck as it seems getting ripped into like a fantasy world, like a really high fantasy square Enix ass world is interesting. That's like an interesting conceit. And the idea of her being like, what the fuck is going on? I can't, I can't believe this. This is nonsensical. How did I end up here? And like constantly referencing that does feel accurate to how literally any person would react in that situation. But I, I think that that Austin Walker piece, I think does a really good job of highlighting like at a certain point though, the character needs to realize the situation that they're in and understand that like just quipping about how much it sucks to be there is starting to undercut what they're trying to do narratively with the overarching story where like there actually is like an end of the world fantasy plot happening in that game and the more the more the protagonist undercuts that idea the less the player will buy into it especially towards the end when it reaches like a climactic boiling point which i think right. which i think is an interesting it's an interesting take on that i mean I, I think about like one of the best sort of like alice in wonderland style stories to me is spirited away where yeah. like the initial reveal of like oh you're in another place Chihiro is like i'm dreaming like this is terrible like, just terrified of right. everything but eventually she like accepts her role in that world and like you know the story begins yeah uh so yeah i, I think i think that's a good observation from austin walker yeah. uh, and again i haven't played Forspoken, so i have no take uh yeah, i think same. a lot of people who have takes haven't played the game from what i've seen <laughs> that is also what i've seen that's that's why i'm, I'm uh, part of the course yeah, yeah i don't want to i don't i don't want to like sound like an authority on Forspoken having not played it it is one of those games i actually do want to check out just to like kind of form my own opinion on yeah i mean i think it's like it's weird that it has fallen on that game this like discourse about that style of dialogue yeah. so this again this conversation conversation's been happening for a while because i think in a mainstream way that style of dialogue was like the norm for 10 11 years yeah so i think we're just sort of questioning like well why is that and that's like that's a constructive conversation to have but of course it's not constructive on on twitter.com so (laughs) (laughs) most things are not anyway uh this game won me over after saying you wondering how i got here and now i'm happy i'm there so we did it wow me too yeah great I guess that means we should take a break. That's good. Uh, (laughs) That is good. That's good. Let's do it. Sounds good is what I meant to say. Mm. You're probably wondering how I got here. Uh, I haven't had much coffee yet, so gotta gotta go, Howie. That sounds. Bye-bye. And we're back. (laughs) Hello. Keeping the rhythm game train a-rolling. Yeah. Steven and I both played a video game on the Nintendo 3DS, believe it or not. This game, interestingly enough, is a Final Fantasy rhythm game spinoff called Theater Rhythm. 
Uh, you and I specifically played Theater Rhythm Curtain Call, which we both, as we just learned in the break, mistook for Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy plus all the DLC. But it turns out Theater Rhythm Curtain Call is a full ass sequel to Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy. This is a rhythm game that incorporates like like battling and RPG mechanics, um, but is a more, I would say, like straight and narrow uh, just rhythm game. Like it, it is like there are dots flying down some lines and you got to tap on the screen when the dots hit a circle. I would say it's like how Elite Beat Agents, which I'm now going to bring up every episode from now on just to do my part. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Elite Beat Agents, you're doing the rhythm game on the bottom screen and there's like something happening on the top screen. Yeah. It kind of feels like there's sort of just Final Fantasy battles happening uh, as you do the rhythm game. But there is some planning involved. Like certain characters have different stats and like I haven't fully internalized what a lot of that means yet uh, mm-hmm. but I, I just sort of made sure I had variety and it seems to be working fine yeah that's what I've been doing too so yeah I think you're right that it's like not it's not quite merging the RPG with the rhythm game although I think the elements it is throwing in there do kind of heighten the experience which yeah. is cool yeah it is a it, it's a really fascinating game I, I think just like visually it's got like a really it's got a really specific kind of storybook art style I would say yeah. it, it has very much like um a book that you would have bought at like the scholastic book fair when you were uh when it was the 90s um yeah like stinky cheese man final (laughs) fantasy characters what a fucking deep cut yeah uh but sam's sandwich style (laughs) characters the way it works though is you essentially like build a party out of uh random final fantasy characters you have a couple unlocked right at the top a lot of the hits you know you got squall you got cloud you got terra in there you got lightning um and you just like make a list uh, of four of those that you like and then you bring them into what is like literally just a rhythm game and there are different modes different kinds of songs that you can play some of them are called battle songs which i think are the more interesting ones um, yeah which are ones in which you are doing a rhythm game and there is an enemy and based on how how perfectly you can hit the notes on the beat your characters will do different attacks that will have varying degrees of of success based on how well you do with the rhythm game um so essentially the better you do at the rhythm game the better your characters will be at wiping out these enemies and you're just kind of like trying to make your way through as many enemies as possible before the song is over yeah it's like a score chase game yeah but it's great i mean it's really good it has like hundreds of final fantasy songs it seems to have like a ton of characters in it it's like really charming i was kind of amazed how quickly it got its hooks into me like yeah almost immediately i knew i was gonna like it on a base level because i i love final fantasy and i i really really love the score of all these games like yeah. even the final fantasies i don't like as much like 13 unfortunately which i do want to give another shot but not right now um <laughs> uh that game's soundtrack is unreal it's so good yeah it's amazing and this game has pretty much i think it came out in 2012 but it has like every final fantasy and various spin-offs that had come out at that point like there are advent children's songs in here there's like final fantasy type zero songs there's final fantasy 11 songs not to mention of course like the big ones like seven and ten and it's all of them all mm-hmm. of them are in here and it's not every single song but it's a pretty nice selection yeah. so like you said the battle songs are like you're literally battling but then what I, they have a, like a, a diff, there's three like genres of songs according to the game yeah uh, and there's like the battle music and then there's stuff that's like just sort of like you're taking a stroll music yeah so it'll just have like one of your characters like walking <laughs> along like sort of a world map fields mm-hmm. and those songs usually involve like dragging 
like you'll hold a note and like kind of drag it in a direction yeah for a long period of time i'm like weirdly really bad at those even though i think it's supposed to be like an easier experience <laughs> i think just like coordinating the direction of it like cloud always eats shit halfway through the run <laughs> and then tara has to pick up the slack i'm using cloud tara cecil and ishtola from 14 oh wow um that's fun i like how ishtola is like the stand-in for 14 because like everyone has their own hero it's like, okay i guess it's i guess it's her yeah but um anyway yeah this game is like so I, I expected it to be fun and you know to enjoy hearing the music but like it's way denser than you would expect so i, I think on a, on a service level there's just the act of like seeing how difficult certain songs are and then every song has three difficulties mm-hmm. so i've mostly been playing on normal which is honestly like it's like a decent challenge like it's pretty easy but it's yeah. like not too easy i was foolish enough to like once i'd done a few on normal i'm like all right i think i get it let me try one winged angel on expert (laughs) and that one winged angel on expert in final fantasy theater rhythm curtain call is harder than the actual sephiroth fight like by a significant (laughs) margin i ate shit i died at the very end too it was the worst possible man like i almost did it it's really really brutal sephiroth is not fucking around are you are you fighting sephiroth yes yeah Yeah. and what's fun too is that like i think depending on who the lead of your party is you're summoned like if you like are on a streak you'll summon something and then there'll be like a summon attack and clouds is knights of the rounds like a bunch of knights show up and do like their thing oh cool which is awesome yeah that's fun and also on the world map songs like sometimes you'll find like a moogle who gives you treasure or you'll turn into a chocobo for a bit yeah and you can also use items in battle to like i haven't really messed around with that much but like there are rpg mechanics that are there and you also unlock more characters as you play that I, I might eventually start to experiment with like, okay, for this type of song, who do I want in my party? Uh, it, it se- the game seems to want you to think about that. And then there's also like a quest mode where it's sort of like a Slay the Spire map where you like go from point to point and there's like a song or a challenge or a reward waiting for you. It's kind of like a gauntlet of songs. And I'm curious, like, what is at the end of that? I just started one. I'm like halfway through. Mm. But there's a lot to do in this game, like way more than you would expect or even want. Um, (laughs) But I genuinely think like if you are a Final Fantasy fan, like I'd say, like, definitely play this. I think you're going to have a great time. It's really Um, cool. It's a really like I think Well, I was going to say, even if you're not a Final Fantasy fan, that you shouldn't play this if you're a Final (laughs) Fantasy fan. But I would say even even somebody like me who like has kind of a passing interest in Final Fantasy and has played some of them, I, I think it's still like a surprisingly great game. I kind of like you, I've been playing it more just as like a straight up rhythm game for the most part. I haven't really yeah. I, I would say I haven't really uh, indulged in a lot of the RPG stuff that much yet, like the items and really like figuring out party composition and stuff because i've been kind of making my way through everything just fine so far my team right now uh, i just replaced uh, zidane from uh from final fantasy 9 with zach who was the first character oh, i unlocked yeah. so I have, I have cloud terra zach and uh and lightning on my team at the moment which is fun that's a star set of cast i do really like lightning even though i didn't really like 13 I, I like i like some of the characters in 13 a lot i yeah i love the characters in 13 yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing um yeah uh, even snow kind of did it for me yeah which you know i was expecting to not like the guy named snow but here we are um but yeah i uh i've been enjoying this a lot i'll probably keep playing it and like see i might report back if i find like maybe like another part of the game i'm not even noticing right now but it's definitely like a surprise hit for me as we explore more of the 3ds library yeah same because it's it's like 
it like did okay like i think this came out at a time where like i mean as we mentioned in the last section like rhythm games haven't really been as popular in the u.s so i think that this game didn't really like i think the fact that it was final fantasy it got attention mm-hmm. but, like outside of that i don't think it really did super well yeah however there is a switch i don't is it a switch sequel or is it like a port of this game i think it's a port of this game with all of the songs from the first game also Okay, it's so called theater rhythm edition. final bar line and it's <laughs> it's coming in like two weeks which we, yeah. we we also didn't know when we played it this week or intended on bringing it to the show but uh there there is a new one of these coming to the switch soon which i think is gonna be really cool the thing I, I think we didn't note about about the 3ds one is that there are like i think four different input methods that you can have while playing the game um it's either or maybe it's three. It's stylus only, buttons only, or a combination of stylus and buttons. Um, I've been playing just with the stylus because that feels the most natural to me. Me too, yeah. Um, but I would be curious to know how this plays just as like a straight up uh, like button-based rhythm game. Yeah, I'm excited for the Switch version, if only to have the music be louder. Because that's like the one mm. drawback on the 3DS. Is like Sometimes the speakers aren't... Like, there's a Final Fantasy IX song. I think it's the world map theme that I love. But mm. it's kind of like more lo-fi and there's a lot of like like sort of like weird notes and my 3ds speaker is like just a little too weak to pick up on some of the lower notes you should try plugging your headphones in see how that goes that's true but then i'll never leave my house if i if i <laughs> have headphones for this game then that's just the rest of my life so i think okay. in some ways i do need some distance okay yeah i, I get you but it is portable so maybe i can go outside with my recording headphones on there you go into my 3d that would is that hip walking outside with an open 3ds and like wired headphones plugged into it it must be at this i point. think that is hip yeah i, th- yeah. I think yeah <laughs> yeah i'll report back once i do it <laughs> i am excited about the switch version i think that's gonna be yeah. fun i will yeah, probably pick that up when it comes out in two weeks i, I also recently unlocked today and i'm curious uh I, tifa was at the end of a song for me but she just gave me an item and then left so mm. i wonder what that means yeah I'm sure you can get her eventually eventually i'll have them all yeah yeah uh yeah, you you noted this um earlier in the week when when you had started playing it but you can see the bits where this could have been like a microtransaction filled nightmare yeah. machine because <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. there are like all these currencies you're getting in the game <laughs> but also there's like the gotcha situation of like mm-hmm. okay you're acquiring characters kind of randomly i i think there's definitely like the skeletal structure of a microtransaction game and then again in the break we learned that this was available for ios briefly which i'm sure was a free-to-play nightmare yeah i i can't help but imagine it was unfortunately um, which uh no longer exists they they have ended service for it as of 2017 so so i'm hoping that the switch version is just like this where you just have it all there yeah Th- there is dlc i I think but again like that will probably be included in the switch version yeah so that's theater rhythm final bar line for the nintendo switch coming february 16th there you go we did it again i'm excited i'm excited about it me too are right, you want to take another break and then come back and talk about more video games <laughs> steven i would love nothing more i can't wait to get those sneakers with the wheels and then plug in my wired <laughs> headphones into my 3ds and go to whole foods <laughs> yeah Cool. See you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, hello again. Hi, Brendan. How's it going, Steven? I hear you've been searching for your true self lately. (laughs) It's true. I've also been playing video games. Oh, cool. Uh, Namely, one that I brought up at the end of last week's episode. uh, They released Personas 3 and 4 on the Nintendo Switch. 
yeah. rounding out the big three as they're, yes. as they're referred to. Uh, three, four, and five are all available on the Nintendo Switch now. I had been making my way through five pretty slowly since Royal was released on Switch and enjoying it. The thing about five for me is it almost feels a little bit like a known quantity, which is a little bit of a problem um, because I've I've played enough of it to kind of like know what's going on. I've seen the end of it twice. And I've uh, talked to you about it a, a lot. Already. A lot. And I watched my partner, Percy, play through most of it. So like I kind of know what I'm getting into with yeah. five, with the exception of the royal stuff, which like I know is great. And I want to get to and see for myself eventually. I also think like the strength of all the Persona games, but especially five is like you'll have a personal connection to sort of like the day-to-day moments. Like Yes. Even if you know the full like a plot, I think you'll enjoy the like schedule maintenance and like smaller moments of it. Right. Which I have, I have been getting into in five, but I, I, I find that like, as much as I like five, I think, I think it's great. And I think it is the best on ramp to the series for most people. If I were to guess. Yeah. Um, I think they don't take the reins off early enough in that game <laughs> and they even fix that in royal like five was five it, yeah, i because i played five when it first came out and i also played royal and i still think like they didn't go far enough when it comes to royal recommending persona 5 to a friend requires you say with a straight face it takes 10 hours to begin yeah uh and like you're not joking right like the game doesn't really let you play persona until you're given a deadline um which essentially without spoiling like the way Really, the way all of them are structured is like every month or so, there's sort of like a thing you have to do. There's like a dungeon you have to complete or a boss you have to defeat. And you're given X amount of time to like do what's required of you in your daily life and also prepare for that in whatever like other worlds there is. Yeah. Um, right. So in five, it's usually like you have to have finished this palace by this date. But the best thing to do in Persona 5, if you're just playing or just starting or whatever, I recommend getting the palace done as quickly as possible. And then you just have four weeks of just chilling. Like there's no stakes. All your friends are like, I'm kind of nervous about what's going to happen, but we want to hang out in the meantime. It's like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. Similar deal in, in a four, three doesn't three is a little bit different because three, there's one dungeon, the whole game that you have to chip away at at your own pace, but there are full moon bosses that you have to prepare for. So it's kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. But in the case of five, you know, there's there's that first palace you need to make your way through. And I would say the game truly doesn't even start until after that, even. Yeah. And, and that is that first 10 hours you're talking about. So, like, even when you're done with the first palace, it's like more when you're making your way into the second one that I think the game like really begins <laughs> and lets you actually do the thing that you want to do in that game, which is the calendar management and hanging out with people and, and choosing what to do on what day. Because up until then, it's like still pretty railroaded for the most part, like you're given some choice, but not as much as i would like yeah there aren't as many characters in your party to hang out with yet either right it's just sort of like you and ryuji and like maybe the guy that like sells airsoft guns and i think that's that stands in pretty stark contrast to four golden which is what i've been playing this week i kind of dipped into it because four four has always been the one that has i think been the most interesting to me well that's not true but it's the one that i always thought i would like the most yeah that's not true either it's the one that i always (laughs) thought i would finish first yeah i mean i think they all speak to different parts of you you know you could like them for different reasons yeah the big underlying thing the reason that i just restarted that sentence three times is that three is the one i want to play the most and i know that that's not the first one i should finish right i i I think three is going to be the one that i connect with on like a really like spiritual level if i was to guess yeah um but it is it is objectively the hardest one to get into and kind of requires 
you know, you can you can obviously jump into it. People have people did and people will continue to do that. But I think I would feel better personally if I had like if I could understand an entire persona game holistically mechanically before jumping into three, which is a little bit more mechanically dense than even yeah. four or five are. I'll say that like I've played a decent amount of older RPGs, like way older than persona yeah. three even and other Atlas stuff. And persona three is like the limit of my patience with certain systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty, it's not a great experience for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is, but like mechanically it asks a lot of you and it has a lot of the classic, like, well, of course there wasn't a save point after those, three bosses so i have to do it all over again or yeah oops i saved too close to the deadline and now i have to like load an earlier save because i messed up three weeks ago without even realizing like that yes. kind of stuff yeah which which yeah. i am not i'm not prepared for that yet um, especially <laughs> with, with the <laughs> looming rumor is. that there might be a remake of that game i'm like i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna put this one on the back burner until i finished at least one of the other ones um, totally so that having been said, I jumped into four because I I've mentioned this on the show before. Usually I, I would say you're like the the uh, persona king on the show. Like you're the <laughs> one who's played most of them. You're the one who kind of takes the lead on these conversations. And I, I don't think I've, I've mentioned this in a while, but I, I picked up a PlayStation Vita initially to play Persona 4 because I had, I had heard so much about it. You and I, as we've alluded to many times and have talked about many times, we, we, we used to write for a video game website and pretty much everyone on staff was playing Persona 4 and really liked it. Yeah, it was right after it came out. It was a 2013. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the impetus for me to pick up a Vita and, and think to myself, like, first of all, I'm just interested in somebody besides Nintendo, like really trying to get into the handheld game. You know, the PSP was a huge deal and was a big success. And I was curious about the Vita and picked one up to play Persona 4 Golden and really loved what I played and then like very quickly got sidetracked with other stuff. Um, so I, I would say I played maybe about 10 hours of that game uh, around when it came out. And I think that was the closest I've ever gotten to like really, really loving a JRPG before we started doing the podcast. Yeah. Um, and there's always been this kind of like lingering thought at the back of my head. That's like, eventually I will return to this game and I'll like it a lot. And obviously, you know, in, in that time span, five came out and then five Royal and like both of those times I tried to get into that game and that didn't quite work. Um, and I've returned to persona four a couple times in that interim thinking like maybe, maybe I'll get into this now. And every time I've tried, it's never really worked. And, and, and I don't know what that is. I don't know what's been holding me back, but I, I find that, you know, it's partially, I think because of the length of these games. Um, but partially also because they all have the same caveat that's like it takes a really long time to get going. So when this game came to Switch specifically, I was like, I am going to as if I'm like doing homework, make my way <laughs> up to the point that I remember playing the original on the Vita. Like I want to get to that point, which I didn't realize this, but was the end of the first dungeon. Oh, okay. And and I think I made it further than that, but I don't remember anything further than that uh, because I, I'm at this point about six hours into Persona 4 Golden on the Switch. I'm done with the first dungeon, making my way like towards the second one. Um, I'm, I'm in I'm in that space between the dungeons where like now I'm just hanging out because I did it early enough that I just have a bunch of time to kill. And what I'll say about this game, look, again, the caveat continues. It does take about five to six hours for i would say the game to like get good i think (laughs) what i had heard around when it came out i had heard a lot of people saying like oh it takes like 10 to 20 hours for that game to start getting good i don't think that's true at all because the game really lets you do your thing much earlier at least than five does and i love 
yeah. Persona 4 for that. Like it, the, it's the speed shocking. at which you can yeah. join clubs and start to hang out with people in your party. The fact that your party fills out within like about three hours means that you have people that you can hang out with. You can go to the Velvet Room at any time, which is like kind of the space between spaces where like a scary man just kind of like Igor. says a bunch of, yeah. you know, kind of like nonsense rhetorical questions at you. <laughs> um, you can like go there at any point and like fuse personas and, and hang out and talk with the people who are in there. You can kind of like bop around the town. You can buy and read books at home if you don't feel like going into the dungeon. Like you have so many options available to you so early. And I, I think the game doesn't do a very good job explaining any of that, which is my big caveat here. What I would recommend if, if you've never played these games and specifically Persona 4, I would say like just Google like Persona 4 Golden day to day guide and follow it for I would say like the first like four days that you're actually able to do whatever you want. And just doing that, at least that's what I did this time. Just doing that kind of helped me understand everything that I could do. Yeah. Just like following a guy that's like, here's the optimal play route meant that I joined a bunch of clubs. I hung out with a couple people. I bought a bunch of books and like learned how to do a bunch of things uh, and leveled up some of my stats enough that I was like, oh, I actually don't think I need this anymore because unlike five Royal. As far as I know, there's nothing in four where like you can fuck up, you know, three months in and then miss 30 hours of content the way you can with five. Not really. There is like golden stuff towards the end. I would say prioritize Marie's confidant levels. Mm. But from what I know, not not as much. There is like there are multiple endings to four in a bigger way without spoiling and mm. like certain actions towards the end can dramatically alter what ending you get but it's pretty clearly signposted like it's it's one mm -hmm. of those things where like when you make a choice it says like should i really be doing this kind of thing yeah and because uh, the whole cool. game is solving a mystery so like there without saying too much there's a point where you have to like guess who the killer is mm. and that obviously will have dramatic effects i would say rec i would recommend like having maybe a save like around that point but that's not until like the very very end totally. or like towards the last part of it but yeah i mean for i think for strength is the day-to-day -day stuff like yeah this series is known for it but like in three the only dude you can hang with for like the first 10 or 20 hours is a guy who loves his teacher and it's like okay and everyone <laughs> else in my party is like a goth aloof person who's mean to me uh, so like, what do I do with my free time? <laughs> the strength of three is seeing how everyone changes over time. Mm -hmm. But in four, like you kind of have that core group of friends like Yusuke and, and Chie and Yukiko, like from the very beginning are sort of like a Scooby-Doo squad. So yeah, it's like, right. And honestly, I think like four is really good. You know, it has a lot of caveats, which we've talked about before in terms of like how they treat certain characters, but like right. the grounded moments of just like genuine friendship are, are kind of un matched even in the other games and mm -hmm. i think that's why people really love this cast in particular it's just like they really do feel like your friends they, they don't like we have a patron bonus where i talk to our friends alana and callie about three four and five for context i've played persona three fez persona four the regular one and persona five and persona five royal to completion i am halfway through persona four golden currently and eventually i'll play persona three portable so i've i've basically played three four and five but not like every version to completion mm -hmm. um, but we were talking about how like persona 5 the cast kind of feels like like in a teen comedy where like 28 year olds play teenagers like this isn't really how teenagers <laughs> like look sound or behave yeah and in four and in three in some ways they really do feel more like 
like kids growing up. You know, right. It feels more like believable behavior for better or for worse. Yeah. And I think that, that kind of stems from the fact that like in five, everyone is like taking on authority and it's like much higher stakes in some ways. Mm-hmm. And in four, it's much more about like the, there is this murder mystery. But what the game is really about is like identity and everyone discovering themselves and like learning more about themselves through friendship really um which like sounds corny and in some ways it is but like the fact that the game mechanically is about being friends with people is like really beautiful yeah and it's just such a joy to play that game like i'm really uh, golden is such a huge step up from the original in terms of like quality of life stuff Mm. um it makes it you know four is like not quite as taxing as three but like there's some stuff where like you know i i got like surprise game over to good amount in a original four whereas like in golden if you get wiped on a floor of a dungeon you can just restart from that floor which is right. like such a great Amazing. like that that sands off so many edges alone not to mention like you just level up faster and in general like there's more they add more abilities your characters can do and you know seeing like everyone become more confident in their day-to-day life and then also like kick ass in the palaces is just such such a great feeling yeah it's amazing yeah Yeah. i i I think what's interesting about my experience with this game so far specifically following the guide i think was was an interesting way to start playing this game um because a i like i mentioned i I learned how to do a lot of stuff early on that i didn't even know was going to be an option you know (laughs) the bookstore stuff like here's my biggest number one recommendation for anyone playing this game, the bookstore will give you a book that's called How to Study Better. I don't think that's actually what it's called, but it's something along the lines of just how to study better. And it's three chapters long. And if you spend the next three days reading that book, anytime you study from that point on, your knowledge will increase twice as fast as it would normally. And you could just do that right at the top of the game, which is amazing. My move is whenever it's raining, if you go to the ramen place, there's a beef bowl challenge. Yes. It's similar in Persona 5. There's a big hamburger challenge. And the, the mega burgers. Even if yeah. you fail it, which you will, attempting the challenge raises every, every stat that you stat. have. Yeah. Uh, there's a line in four about it's like this big beef bowl ramen, which I yeah. recommend. Uh, there's a spinoff of Binging with Babbitt called um anime with alvin yeah uh, but he's lately been making a lot of food from games and he made the beef ball from persona 4 it's amazing it's incredible but there's a line where it says like there's no end to this i think my eyes are staring into a portal to the meat dimension yeah. so that's always stuck with me yeah that's really good yeah I, I like uh when when you fail it towards the beginning um like the first time you try it he says something to the effect of like I haven't even seen rice yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you can only see the meat. Uh, it's incredible. But we yeah. also, yeah, I, I, and there's one quick note too about mm. what four does well. I, I, I talked about this with Alana as well, but um, I think the protagonist of four is interesting because like, and this is something that you and I talk about a lot with like, rpgs and protagonists and when is the player allowed authorship and when aren't they totally what's interesting about persona 5 is that joker is a is a silent protagonist but like you definitely get a vibe like i i can i can get a sense of like who joker is and like what he would sound like if he talked more i mean he does have voice lines in battle but like yeah there's a much stronger sense of character with joker with with you who i think it's his canon name in persona 4 yeah uh he's like a total blank slate and i think that actually helps this game because 
it really does make it feel like it's like you and his shoes. Like it's like it's right. You know, your friends, you're doing all these things. Yeah. Um, which is kind of fun. Three is similar, but three is a little bit of that like Geralt self-insert fanfic energy where everyone's like, you're the coolest, smartest, most popular guy in school. Right. Can you help me with something? Yeah. It's the like, yeah. The, the vibe with three, at least the, the main protagonist <laughs> from the original release is like, oh, you're the you're the fucking bad boy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of fun. But I like how four is like, you're just sort of whoever you choose to be. You know, yeah. your your reputation and your connection with these characters is totally up to your actions. Yeah. Which I think Cause, helps. Because five, I feel like, is so much about dispelling the myth that you're the bad boy. You know, because right. like you just came from a city and uh, like, I, I don't want to spoil anything narratively, but like story reasons uh, make you need to move to the city and everyone like has heard rumors about what you've done and why this has been forced onto you. And they think that you're like a stone cold killer essentially. Yeah. And, and I feel like for allowing you to just kind of like make your own way, like the only thing that the only thing that I think people project onto you is like, Oh, you're from the big city. Now you've moved out to the country and this must be weird for you. Right. But, But like, that's kind of it. It's not even like, Oh, you think you're better than everyone except for the shitty teacher who like actually says that to you. Oh, King Um, moron. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But everyone else for the most part is like, this must be like a really big change for you. How are you holding up? You know? And they'll just like ask you questions about yourself that you get to answer. um, And they'll like help you out in a lot of instances, which I think I also really really love the, the sense of family with Dojima and Nanako and like, yeah. Sort of who like are, the, I, I guess, just to go further yeah, in depth, yeah. Dojima is is your uncle, uh, who is the one who takes you in at the beginning of the game, uh, and he has a daughter, and he is essentially the lead detective of the murder case that's happening around in town. The case involves a, a semi-famous person essentially being like strung up, I think from a telephone pole at the, in yeah. the beginning, yeah. um, and uh, you know, a bunch of stuff comes out about like a, an illicit relationship that she had, and, and a bunch of other stuff that's like very kind of like gossip raggy and shitty. Um, and it's in a pretty small town. So everyone is like, this is the only thing that anyone's ever talking about. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on Dojima specifically to like solve the case. And he is not home a lot because of that. So that means that he's leaving his like very young daughter to just kind of like watch the house for the most part. Um, so it's like you and her just kind of like hanging out being like, hey, I wonder if he's going to come home today even, you know, because he's like outworking the case so much. Yeah. I think Nanako is a standout for me because she's so like, I think like a, a different script would maybe have her be more of a caricature of, of like this sort of helpless kid at home who like yeah misses her dad and like i think she definitely does miss her dad but she's so self-reliant and like clearly kind of runs the house mm-hmm. in his absence right. and like it's kind of totally cool like if you spend time with her or not she's like yeah i have my own ritual here yeah. but like once you do start to sort of form a bond with her and then once your friends also like start to kind of form a bond with her like it's it's such a great arc to see her like kind of find her own family in the absence of one present at home yeah um that's one cool. of my favorite I, I've moments never hit that but that sounds great i'm looking forward to that oh yeah now. i mean yeah. sorry to spoil it slightly but that's no, definitely no, no. like I, I think that's great one of my favorite moments is like there's a moment of like I think Dojima gets like he's like finally home but then he gets called away yeah. and it's just you and Nanako and it's like there's a silence in the air you decided to do a magic trick and then like your character like independent of your input just does a magic trick for <laughs> Nanako and she's like that's amazing do it again and like that's like a constant like recurring joke in the game is like every now and then your character will just unprompted do a just magic trick. Just knows how to do magic. <laughs> yeah which is so it's like the one time you has an authored moment uh, and it's like <laughs> that weirdly endears me to the protagonist as well. That's so good. But yeah, I, I, I think that. the 
I mean, there's a little bit of this in five too with Sojuro. It's very similar where like Sojuro right. takes Joker in. Although in that case, it's like Joker has this sort of disgraced aura about him. So it's sort of like an act of pity that eventually yeah. becomes like a home. A real bond. Yeah. Yeah. Here it's like your uncle. And I think Dojimatsu is like a really interesting character because he he's like a father figure, but he says at one point like he it there's an undercurrent or there's a sense that Dojima feels ill-equipped to be a father. So like yeah, he is busy at work. Um, and there's sort of allusions to maybe like a small drinking problem at times mm. but i think he's almost intimidated by the aspect of being a father and it's said at some points that like you know their mom who i think has passed away like she took care of everything and was sort of like the heart of of the family mm. and i think now he feels lost and i think part of what's so beautiful about four is like kind of inspiring dojima to be a better dad as well yeah in sort of almost like a brotherly role where he, he says at one point he's like you know i think of you as like a younger brother it's it's great it's a beautiful game i could talk about it forever um i i think one of the things i did want to touch on is specifically and and i i found this to be really interesting because i I think persona 5 always really called out to me when it was announced and when it was coming out because of this recreation of tokyo and shibuya and like making your way through that like through the big city and i think specifically for people who don't live in tokyo having you be like an out-of-towner you know, somebody who lives in the countryside moving into the big city, you feel so ill-equipped to understand how to make your way around that space. And I, I think that's a that's a thing that Persona 5 does better than I think any other game I've ever played. Like the, the first day of school yeah. when you need to make your way to the school by figuring out and learning the subway system feels legitimately like actually figuring out a real subway system. Absolutely. I I map it like one to one with my experience of when I started working in New York city and had no idea how to use a subway and was like so afraid of getting lost on the subway that I just would walk like 30 to 40 minutes to work for the first like year of commuting before I finally got like brave enough to try and do the subway which turns out i just needed to check google maps and then they just tell you but um you don't fucking have google maps in persona 5 uh you got to figure it out yourself and i think that that experience is really cool and really interesting and eventually you do learn it and you kind of learn the city and you figure out how to make your own way there and i i think that that game does that very well but there is something about persona 4 and inaba is the name of the town that you're in being a really small countryside town where there's like not a lot going on really except for this like huge huge murder case means that you're seeing the same people over and over and over again and they're changing on a day-to-day basis in ways that feel more real to me than the city in five does sometimes because the city in five you know really what they get right about a big city like tokyo or like new york you know, is the only one that I can really map it to uh, for myself, but is the idea that like, yeah, there are a billion people here, but whoever you surround yourself with, like that's the city to you, you know? Um, So your friends that you, that you form bonds with throughout that game, those are the people that you hang out with on a daily basis in persona five. And that's cool. And that that's Tokyo to you or those people that you see on a day-to-day basis. But in persona four, it's everyone. It's everyone in the town. Like you get to know the person who works at the gas station. You get to know the person who like, like hangs out outside the bookstore every single day, hoping that they restock and have something new. You get to know the person who runs the beef bowl ramen shop, you know, like yeah. having having that level of depth for every single NPC in the entire game is really compelling to me, knowing how long it's going to be and knowing how many how many months of this game I have ahead of me. 
because already within the first two months of the game, I'm like all about it. I'm like all about learning yes. everything about all of these people in Inaba. I don't know. There's something about this game specifically that's really calling to me in a way that I kind of wasn't expecting. But now that I'm getting further and further into it, I'm like, yeah, this was always lingering in the back of my head that I think I'd love for. I think you're right to highlight the setting and sort of like it's it's almost like the best aspects of a Hallmark movie. Like there's always like the move back to a small town. Yeah. You know, but then you recognize the beauty of it. But I think giving a lot of the support conversations like in all the Persona games, there are characters usually in your party where if you spend time with them, there are little scenes that unlock and your bond will increase and you'll unlock abilities in combat as well. Mm -hmm. And in three and five, there are also S links or confidants as they're called in five that are like characters outside of your party. Yeah. But I think for there's like more attention to those. Like I think a lot of my favorite supports in four are with the characters that are outside of your party. Like there's there's one with the guy who is on your basketball team. And it's just hit like you learn that he's from this like really high society family who if they knew he was playing basketball, he would be like taken out of school and sent to like a super like private school or something. Wow. Yeah. I joined the soccer team. I did the soccer the first time as well, uh, which is also a great one. Uh, and you actually hang out with both of them. Yeah, they you get to know like, them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't done basketball before, so I switched. There's also one for theater or music. I can't help but choose theater every time. I also chose theater. Yeah. Who needs music? <laughs> um, but anyway, like a lot of those scenes, not all of them are are super deep, but they do give you a much stronger connection to the place. Mm -hmm. You know, another one where if you take the uh, daycare job, you meet like a single mother who has, I think she's the temperance arcana. Um, yes. And that's another great one. It's it just like, it just makes the whole setting feel alive. And, it, you know, like you said, where it's like in five, you kind of get like the small town focus of a big city. Here, it actually makes Inaba feel larger because like every mm -hmm. corner of it, there's a story, even outside of like the confidants, like talking to the bizarre weapon store guy who thinks he's making artwork, you know, yeah. like like he's like a metal sculptor. So everything he's selling is like just a weapon. But, you know, right. he doesn't think he's selling weapons to kids. And the item store owner, like at night, her store is like a bar. She's in a totally different outfit. Mm -hmm. So just stuff like that, it makes it makes everything feel really alive. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I really and and Golden, they add some areas like you can take your scooter to like a different part of the city that's like a little bit like more active like there's more like stores it kind of has like a mini mall vibe almost mm. i've only seen it in cutscenes. i haven't i haven't been able to like visit it on my own yet yeah i think it's like towards I think you're close to it but eventually you ask dojima if you can like get a motorcycle or a scooter mm. and it takes a while for him to say yes but eventually he like that's one of the many things you can do is you can just drive around cool. and then you know you can see movies with your friends that also i love the fake movies in these games they're all so funny <laughs> like especially in five but uh anyway like there's there's so much to do with this sort of like day-to-day -day stuff i'm curious though how how is the battling working for you like the more like straightforward mechanical part of this where you're like in the dungeons and, and fighting and all that i've been enjoying it a lot honestly um yeah. i i found so this guy that i was following initially i i realized you know as i mentioned i you know, I, I would recommend following the first like three or four days of a guide just to understand how to play the game. But I realized at a certain point that the guy that I was following didn't have me going into the TV world literally until the last possible day that you could do it and was like, yeah, just do the whole dungeon on the last day. And I was like, I don't think I want to do that. Yeah. Um, so I actually recommend the opposite usually. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up chipping away at it in halves. So I did um, the first dungeon is eight floors uh, and you can, as you mentioned, you can save at the at whatever the highest floor you've hit is. So I made it up to 
five, which had a boss and then beat that boss and then was like, okay, cool. I'm going to stop here. And then I visited again a couple of days later and went and did it. But I found it to be really fun. Honestly, I had yeah. a really good time making my way through the dungeons uh, more so than I was expecting to, especially knowing that the dungeons in four are like, you know, I was, I was going to say, uh, less intentionally designed than than five, but they are literally like randomly generated, right? As you go into them. Yeah. So it's like in five, they're like designed like Zelda dungeons almost where it's like def- like a concrete space that has distinct areas that are designed in a certain way. Right. In four, it's every dungeon has like a theme and a, and a look to it, but every floor is randomly generated. It's yeah. like Mementos in five. Mementos is sort of their like having both Have kind both, of thing. Right. Yeah. I like that, honestly. I, I kind of I, I appreciate um, the simplicity of it, I think, because it really is just like run down a hallway and there will be some doors and you just see what's behind those doors and just try and find the exit. And for me, somebody who is, I think, going a little bit more completionist this time than I, I have in the past, I just explore every inch of all of it and fight every enemy that's in there, because why not? I want to level all that stuff up. And I'm absolutely I'm getting really I'm getting really into the combat system in a way I never really have before. I, I found and even though five, I think, does the best job of tutorializing how to play Persona, I think it does not a great job of tutorializing the combat specifically, yeah. um, which is a little bit of a bummer. And I don't know how much of that is like assuming that you've played a Shin Megami Tensei game or one of the spinoffs in the past um, and is like, yeah, you'll probably bring a lot of that in. We need to teach you about like the day to day calendar stuff and the Persona stuff, but you already understand SMT combat. It's like, well, I didn't really. Um, <laughs> and four actually does a pretty good job of teaching you that stuff and a pretty bad job of teaching you everything else. Yeah. Um, I think they do yeah. a good job like focusing on using weaknesses to your advantage yes. early on and then like the next dungeon or two are more about like you also got to buff your stats so mm-hmm. it's like they do a better job like the difficulty curve is a little bit better yeah um, even though it's it's pretty like the first boss uh, in in the the palace which is actually a palace which is funny mm-hmm. uh, that final boss is pretty hard but it's, it's also like once you like if you can beat that boss you can beat the whole game because it's like everything is sort of like that where it's mm-hmm. like you eventually get kind of a groove of like okay if I can do this this turn you know you kind of think three turns ahead whenever you're playing Persona yeah and like there are some really tense fights. Like there's a, I think the fourth palace or the fourth dungeon, like there's sort of like two bosses you have to do back to back. And that one is like on the edge of my seat, but it's fun. Like it's always, I think, I think this game does a better job with the bosses, honestly, because some of the bosses in five are like wild. Like I think some of them are good, but some of them are like, there's no weaknesses. And it's just sort of like, <laughs> why is this? Like, I, think I, everyone I know points which one you're to, referring to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for, forest combat is a, is a joy. And also I think I've played enough of them now to kind of like, I've never really fully grasped how fusions work, but I'm getting better at like, figuring out kind of what I want to build towards and like be like, oh, okay, I want to make sure that I have like enough of a spread of confidence. So when I make any persona, it's going to get that level boost, which is really important. The thing I still haven't fully figured out is when like, there are a few confidants in the various persona games where someone will be like, I want you to make me Jack Frost who knows this move. And I'm like, I may never do this because I don't right. really, I think you have to get skill cards that have that ability. Um, and you can look at your, like if you've ever like made a persona, you can look at your compendium mm-hmm. and then you can summon any of them with a certain amount of yen. Right. Um, which is really helpful. But it's taken me a while to like, because I, I don't think I really knew what I was doing at all in Persona 5 until I had like finished it. 
now I have a much better grasp, but even still, I'm not like, it's it's usually kind of reactionary still. But I, I think you don't really need to be a master of it to play for Golden. I think as long as you're like, you know, getting a bunch of personas and then fusing what you have and seeing what you can make, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, that, that leads into kind of one of the bigger things that I wanted to ask you about and talk about a little bit with regards to this franchise. Sometimes I I wonder if this is a, a game and a franchise that could benefit from a lot of design by subtraction elements. Like I, the more of these games that I play and the further into them I get, the more I realize what, what aspects of it I and most people seem to be gravitating towards and the other parts which seem to be like added mechanics because of things like just kind of like the expectation of a fandom or, you know, the expectation because it's related to SMT and a spinoff of SMT that doesn't actually add to the experience and like the core of what they're trying to accomplish with Persona as a franchise. And I think like a lot of the Persona fusion and like skill management stuff feels to me like a literalization of like EV and IV training in Pokemon. But it's like, <laughs> what if Pokemon demanded that you understand how that works, you know? Yeah. Um, which I don't I don't know how much that that adds to my enjoyment or or adds to my experience playing persona i think that persona 4 and 5 are approachable enough on normal that you don't really need to know a lot of that to be okay the 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 thing that's sort of like the thing that i would never want to see go and the thing that i think is like the heart of persona and smt combat is the idea of weaknesses so like yeah if in a, you know the ele- sort of elemental pokemon stuff and also the focus on buffing and debuffing mm-hmm. to me that's like what kind of separates the turn-based combat here from a lot of other stuff also the flashy moves like the all-out attacks yeah in persona 4 like you know if if friends are are close enough they'll just randomly be like uh chie and yukiko can just randomly summon like twin dragons mm-hmm. if they're filling up to it which i love and like <laughs> Again, that 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 is a manifestation of what you're doing in the daily life part. So yes. like that is great. I think the uh I think there is room for streamlining how fusion works and also like how you know how like malt like the sort of like three or four or five part fusions, like I think that that can be better explained. <laughs> um or yeah. better yet, like because what's interesting is that in some ways I think three tried to design by subtraction in that you could only control the protagonist. Yeah. So like in some ways it was like your your friends will do what they're going to do. You got to focus on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, you were also the determining factor solely. I, I, I really do like having control over the full party. And I think the fact that like everyone else's personas are just set and you have control over what moves they get. Mm-hmm. I honestly wouldn't be horribly offended if if the protagonist just had one persona the whole time, but maybe a greater access to moves. Like rather than having to constantly fuse and change, like I, I wouldn't mind maybe having like one that we invest in and like have maybe a wider access to moves or maybe like different versions. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't like, what's think, the name yeah. of the the um the persona you get in Persona Five? Arsene. Arsene, like. Arsene kind of became a de facto mascot of that game alongside Joker. And it's kind of it, it feels like a bummer when you stop using Arsene, you know, because Arsene feels like a character. Yeah. And, and that there's something kind of fun about in a Pokemon way where in all the Persona games, if you max out someone's confidant level, their persona evolves. Mm. And I wonder if there's a way to maybe like, and this is just going more Pokemon now, but I wonder if there's a way to have like the protagonist less based on fusion and more based on like evolution. Mm. I don't really mind how it is now, to be honest, but I do think that there is like, I think, I think it might boil it more down to how it's explained to the player and less what's there. 
because I do yeah. like the sort of alchemy of it. But I think there's room for improvement for sure. Yeah, I, I just I it's one of those situations and we saw this a lot with the release of SMT5 specifically and like kind of the discourse around that game. Um, but it's one of those situations where I know if they if they paired back or simplified or tried to streamline any of these mechanics, the player base would fucking revolt in a way that would be like <laughs> really gross and bad and, and twittery. Um, and I, I think that's a bummer because I, I I do think that this game could really use like one, one more layer of polish on top of it. Like I'm really interested to see what happens when persona six is finally announced and like where they're trying to take that game or what they try and do with persona three, if they're actually remaking it, you know, like what, what are they going to remove? What are they going to add? What kind of quality of life stuff are they going to fit in there? Because playing a thing like fire emblem, three houses or even Tokyo Mirage sessions, which is, you know, feels a little bit like a like a persona spinoff which is a smt spinoff both of those games i think do a really good job of taking the core ideas of this like calendar management and and um like social links ideas but simplify them in a way where they become the focus over everything else like combat is still important it's still important to manage your skills and your levels and things like that but i am showing up to persona not to get embroiled in the velvet room fusion menu of it all like that's not that's that feels more like a chore to me than it does the focus you know yeah i mean that's subjective i I know many people who like that's like the selling point Mm. so i i think that like but i think you're right i mean i'm thinking about fire emblem engage which like we talked about recently and i'm i'm very divided on but for gameplay reasons I, i think of it because i think fire emblem engage with the tactics and with the mechanics does a great job streamlining it but there's so much depth so i think there's like that game kind of proves you can take what is known as kind of an obtuse series Mm -hmm. and make it very clear like what does what what should you be investing in what but give like kind of infinite possibilities for experimentation yeah i think persona is moving in that direction because like to be honest like persona three four and five are simplifications of smt yeah (laughs) like right uh it's just not like it's still messy so i think (laughs) that there might be a way to you know much like how the confidant levels manifest in the party mates i wonder if there's a way to have the protagonist's persona be more in line with the day-to-day and less with the velvet room Mm -hmm. because there's also that distinction of like there's the social life stats and then there's your persona stats yeah i wonder if there's a way to just merge merge the two two together yeah totally that way when i try to eat the beef bowl i'm also leveling up our sen somehow right on a personal level i don't mind if they don't change it much Mm -hmm. but i think as it becomes like their flagship series and as smt continues this is what i brought up i I think i gave everyone a a small trauma when i mentioned the idea of a real-time persona game (laughs) for the record i don't necessarily want that i just like you i think with persona 6 after the wild success of persona 5 i imagine there is a desire to one up it or change Mm -hmm. and i just wonder what that's going to look like but i think if smt is continuing as it has with five i think there's room for persona to maybe deviate a little bit as smt remains like here's the combat that we've refined for the last two decades yes you know what i mean yeah totally yeah yeah i it raises questions about what is going to come next for for persona right it it, i feel like it's kind of in a dragon quest space like dragon quest and persona are in the exact same spot right now where 11 weirdly enough 
was supposed to be a celebration of the entire series, kind of like Fire Emblem Awakening, just to link all these things together, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's a lot like Mass Effect, too. Why, <laughs> why not? <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be, uh, so I feel like we actually we've hit every single one of our, our, one oh, of no, our we, games. We, we didn't bring up one more important one. Uh, which, FF7? No, we, we brought up FF7 already. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to will it into the world okay. if it's not right. natural. Uh, but that haven't been said. Uh, oh, Drill Dozer. Yes, yeah, Drill Dozer. You got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dragon Quest Eleven was supposed to be this kind of celebration of the entire series and ended up being finally the on ramp worldwide globally that Dragon Quest needed for, I, I think, that game becoming as big everywhere as Final Fantasy was. Not that it is, but like getting closer to that. Yeah, um, it, yeah it was exactly. like out, outside of eight on the ps2 was like the most viably huge dragon quest game and now 12 is coming and the big question is like well you brought in all these people with 11 does that mean that 12 needs to continue in that vein or are they going to like take a big risk and say like yeah you know what dragon quest is now see what dragon quest can be and i wonder if that's what's going to happen with persona 6 where like does atlas see persona 5 as the right entry point into the franchise or do they wish that there was an even better on ramp especially if they're focusing yeah. on previous entries right if they're continuing to invest now believe it or not porting three and four to other places rumors of a three remake coming down the line like do they want more people to get onboarded into persona and create a better way for people to understand how fusion links work and how the calendar system works and and social links and things like that so they can go back and feel primed to play three four and five or are they going to be like no no no, five was your on-ramp six is going to be wild again <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm down for either honestly i'm also down for yeah. either but i i think they're at an interesting crossroads and i i Absolutely. there's like no way to predict which of those two paths are going to go down i also wonder i mean you know they, they've sort of given a nod to one and two in the marketing like i have the yes. anniversary mug and like yeah you know there there are the characters from one sort of like the cover of acdc's highway to hell <laughs> the, dr the drummer and bassist are like trying to get into the picture in the background uh -huh. and it's just angus young and bon scott yeah. like in the front <laughs> you know uh i do want to play two one day I, I i might at least watch a playthrough because I know mm. a lot of people that love the plot of two and consider it to be the best in the series. But like it's it's harder even than three to get through from what I hear. Yeah. Um, and one seems to be just sort of like like it's cool to see where it all began, but it's not really recognizable by today's standards. You know, mm -hmm. like the reason three, four and five are lumped together is three introduced the calendar system and the S links and sort of set the mold for everything. after. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm very, very excited. It's also continuously miraculous that this is a mainstream series i've mentioned that before but like <laughs> looking at this series the roots of it and the origins of it like if the, if persona 5 came out like five years before it did i feel like it would be much more controversial you know what i mean mm. like in the era where people are like are games gonna corrupt the youth it's like <laughs> maybe this one will <laughs> look, look at, i just summoned the devil by shooting myself in the head so uh -huh. Yeah, I, I, I'm very happy. I mean, five was my first, you know, I, I was sort of curious about the series for a long time and then five came out and like totally brought me in. So I'm yeah. hoping that six can do the same. I'm really curious. Like, there, there's so much potential with this idea and we've seen, I mean, the, the influence of persona is everywhere, you know yeah. I mean? And, and, and that can mean like adopting the calendar system like it did in three houses, or it can mean like just sort of the tone and, and flashiness of it in hi-fi rush. Yeah. You know, I, I think, yeah. I think there's so much to take from persona uh, and, and move forward. Yeah. All of that said, I am going to, I think probably like 
put my Persona Five playthrough on hold for a while, and and yeah, about, I'd recommend focusing on one. Yeah, like you'll you'll feel burnt out. I, I've also been playing a lot of Four Gold, and I started the year like in our sort of post goatee. You got it on lull. the Steam Deck. I have it on the Steam Deck, and yeah. I've actually been playing it docked primarily, which is kind of fun. That's cool. So I'm like about halfway through. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so if you ever want to talk about it again, I'd love to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is this is one of those games that I am feeling really feeling the gravitational pull of at the moment. So uh, cool. I'll probably devote a lot more time to it, I think. Hell in, yeah. In the coming months. That's that's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. I will. I, I guess two quick updates. Fire Emblem Engage. I'm still playing uh, and still enjoying I like it a lot. I think I think, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff that we said last week stands. I think like narratively very simple, mechanically very deep and interesting. The characters are nonsensical. I don't know. It's a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I I play more of it too. I am enjoying it. I think I might be like done for now. Like I I've, I've played a good amount of it and I'm mm-hmm. like I've been enjoying this, but I don't know if I need to like see way more of it. I mean, you know, maybe I'll revisit it or something. But I, I definitely think it's a fun game. But I immediately started doing my maddening run of three houses again. <laughs> yeah, right. So I might try that might be like my fire emblem of choice for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once I've done the impossible and finished <laughs> the maddening run, I may go back to engage but it is kind of interesting like going back to three houses after engage like i do think there are some things mechanically that i miss you know i think with three houses that this is my fourth playthrough and i've played maddening for a good amount of time and before i see the preview of what's going to happen in a battle i don't have 100 percent confidence like why i know what's happening mm. like you know like why certain characters can take out this enemy in one hit and why others can't and yeah like, what stats are doing that and engage it's always very clear. I always know like, okay, if I use this character, it's probably going to be pretty good. And the preview just sort of reinforces that guess. Yeah. So I think like engage is awesome. And I definitely want to play more of it. I just like, I, I got pulled back because <laughs> I, I, I streamed it recently and I, and I, I don't know how often I'm going to stream it, but I do at the very, very least want to stream the final battle once I get there. So more yeah. on that soon. That's engage. I, I think I probably will see it through if I was to guess. I'm playing yeah. it uh, definitely at a slower pace than I was when it first came out, but I'm still enjoying it and dipping into it and doing like a battle every once in a while. There's just the battles take a long time in that game. They take they like, do. like sometimes up to an hour, which, you know, means you really have to set aside some like real time for it. It's not as easy as Persona where you can just like do a day real quick, you know? I think it was chapter 13 or something, but there was a really interesting battle that like. I'm not going to say won me over narratively, but I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is an interesting thing to do mm. with the mechanics to tell a story. So mm-hmm. like, it, it's like a very well-designed game for sure. Yeah, yeah. The other game I wanted to bring up real quick, uh, and, and not a lot to say about it because we've already said so much about it, but I finished uh, collecting all of the Pool 3 cards in Marvel Snap this morning. Oh, <laughs> nice. Which is wild. Uh, I yeah. didn't even realize I was close to finishing it. I had kind of like forgotten that that was even a possibility. Um, so for, for those of you who are playing Marvel Snap, or sorry, for those of you who aren't playing Marvel Snap, there's Pool 1, which is like the cards everybody gets right when they start playing the game. Pool 2, which like takes, I would say, like a couple weeks of playing the game and everyone gets all of those cards. And then Pool 3, which is like huge collection of cards and you have a random chance of acquiring them in a random order. And that has taken me, I guess, almost, I don't know, it's been like six months of me playing this game just about. <laughs> um, and, I, and I finally collected all of them. And there are also pool four and five cards, which are even harder to get. Oh, um, wow. But you don't get those like on the normal collector's rank. Um, but uh, it's interesting now. Like now I feel like I have like a full arsenal and like all of the decks, all like the cool decks that people are brewing online and stuff. I can like make most of them, you know, outside of like having a couple cards missing from four and five. But uh, really weird to be at that point. 
I think that I, I really just assumed was like for people who play this game professionally on twitch.tv, you know, yeah. um, it's weird to think like, oh, no, I attained it by paying three dollars for Captain America when the game came out. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, I've been I haven't been playing Marvel Snap as much, but I've been enjoying the new season. I did get the season pass, so I have Zatu. I made I made a, a deck for Kazar and Zatu named Rainforest Cafe. Uh, that's like all about one drops and stuff, which has been fun. Yeah, I I think I have a healthy relationship with with it now. Where I think early on I found myself playing it when I didn't really want to, mm. and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should same. take some time away. Now I feel like when I play, it's a more active decision where I'm like, okay, I'll play like a few matches. Yeah. I've also, I've kind of gotten away from the point of like trying to rank up actually, like the actual ranked ladder I've kind of yeah. started ignoring entirely, which has made the game significantly more fun for yeah, me. Yeah, I think once they introduce the unranked mode and playing with friends, I could see myself playing way more of it because that's what I'm more, I, I don't care about rank like at all. Yeah. I don't want to get the title that's like, hey, I'm walking. Actually, I do kind of want that if they have <laughs> Never mind. I got to get when, when the they best. do a New York, um, a Marvel's yeah, New when York season. They do season. a big Apple season. Honestly, like it's not out of the realm of possibility. Most <laughs> of the Marvel Universe takes place in New York City for some reason. I want tourist variants. Everyone has like a big map and an I Love New York t shirt. <laughs> would be awesome. Yeah, right? <laughs> I loved some of the the holiday variants they did. I got I got one that's uh, rock slide, and he's trying to wrap presents. Uh, but you know he's made of rock, and he has like this. He has the wrapping paper in one hand and the scissors in another hand. He's looking at them both like horrified. Um, <laughs> rock paper scissors. Yeah, it's yeah. very very clever. Um, that's great. Yeah, there, there's some good stuff. They're they're doing some good stuff in, with that game. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to call that out because I'm still playing Marvel Snap yeah. pretty much. Every I'm glad day. it's like because I think with a game like that, there's a potential for it to be a fad. I think they've done a good job making the foundation for like a game i will revisit for a long time you know what i mean yeah i mean that, that's sort of the Same. ideal for a card game is like i want to like pop in when i'm interested and pop out when i've had enough kind yeah of this was this is one of the reasons i wanted to talk about it and my experience with the beta specifically like when the game initially came out because i think at this point people are starting to feel what i was feeling towards the end of the beta period which is like oh man the rate at which you unlock cards is so slow that i feel like i'm not gonna get the things that i want ever and knowing, I think, or like finally clicking with the alternative to that is like a microtransaction riddled nightmare scenario where people are just like buying, you know, like Hearthstone packs of cards, essentially. Yeah. Um, in like a loot box scenario. I, I think I think the decision to make the the doling out of cards much slower means that you focus more on the ones that you do get and experiment with them. And I think that that's honestly more fun in the long run than like just kind of like binging as many of them as you can possibly get and then ignoring most of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think like what keeps me playing is like if I if I see the idea for a deck and I'm like, I just need this one card, you know? Um, yeah, right. Uh, so I, I have like I have a few decks that I'm happy with and I just I'd rather make a deck I have fun playing than one that's like actually good <laughs> yeah no i'm, I'm the exact sense. same way yeah there, i forgot what it's called but I, we, we might have talked about this before but there's sort of uh the people who design magic cards they kind of have like three players in mind where it's mm -hmm. like there's the min maxer who's like going to make like the meta best deck they just want it to be like as efficient as possible yeah there's the person that wants like just the biggest splashiest shiny charizard cards mm -hmm. uh, so they just want like the spectacle of it and then there's yeah. the player that wants to sort of creatively kind of use the game as a way to share their own creative take on it yeah um so they they maybe are less interested like everyone wants to win but they're more interested in, in winning the way they want to than mm. in the way that works right or in the way that maybe is the biggest 
which I think is interesting because I do cons- like, I think everyone is a mix of those two, but I do consider myself kind of that category of like I want to be creative with what I'm making, and I don't care if it's like considered good or bad. Yeah, I have I have two decks that I play the most. One of them is a Zabu deck that is specifically like if I want to win, then I'm playing the Zabu deck. Zabu, uh, Zabu. I said Zatu by accident. It's okay. And then the other <laughs> one uh, is one that I don't win with as frequently, but is so much fun to play that I just like when I do win, it feels glorious. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, man, I, I knew this deck could work out, you know? Yes. Yes. As long as there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's Marvel Snap. That's Marvel Snap. Back at it cool. again at Krispy Kreme. Um, well, I guess we should wrap up. Anything on the horizon you're excited about? I know that at the time of this episode, we will have already released our Animal Crossing New Leaf bonus. That's exciting. exciting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I can't believe it. Thank you if you've listened to that already. Uh, also, thanks to our friend Will for composing all that music. It was really incredible. Yeah. So cool. I know. Oh, I'm excited for Final Fantasy Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line. <laughs> Me I guess, too. Now that we figured out it exists and is coming out in two weeks. Yeah. I would say the, the, the things that are on the horizon that I'm interested in, actually, like they're kind of already out, but like the Dead Space remake came out and got incredible reviews. I don't know yeah. if you saw how that was received, but like people love that thing. And I am very interested in it because I, I liked the first Dead Space enough. Um, what what little I played of it. So that's interesting. And then on it, like February just has a ton of shit coming out, um, but it's going to be more towards the end of the month. Like uh, that new Yakuza game and Octopath oh, 2 yeah. and that, that Kirby remake and stuff. But I think honestly, the thing on the horizon I'm most excited about is whatever that Nintendo direct ends up being. <laughs> yeah, me too. Cause I just feel like there's kind of, you know, we know Zelda's going to show up in there and outside of that, no idea really. Uh, this is the first time I maybe expect a hardware announcement. I just think this year, Mm. if there's, I know that's like constantly the rumor. Usually I don't believe it, but like, I just feel like at this point we got to know, like, what is the plan at least? Like, even if it's not out, out, you know what I mean? I mean, the, the, the recent Bloomberg report said that Nintendo has, uh, ordered an increase of production of the normal Nintendo switch for this year. I think I have my answer. I think you have your answer. (laughs) To be clear, I'm not like in a rush to get Nintendo another $500, but I'm just curious (laughs) what's up. Yeah, because, you know, I think I think as much as the switch is capable and there are plenty of games that look amazing on it, like we have seen the limitations of it as well. Yeah. For like first party stuff. So I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm but also just curious. I think Zelda is going to look and play great. Uh, So that's going to be good. Dude swords. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, thank you for listening. <laughs> Into the cast online is your link to everything. Uh, if you like the show, share it with a friend, review us on Apple Podcasts. If you really like the show, you can support us on Patreon. Thank you so much to those who are able to do that. You help us get new equipment. You help the show work towards being a potential full-time endeavor. Uh, we have a lot of plans for the Patreon this year, which I'm excited about. And, of course, the 3DS bonus will be coming out in February, and that will be the last episode that is available for the $1 tier. So the dollar tier, you'll have all the episodes that we've released up until now. But then after 3DS, all patron bonuses will be $5. So that's the plan. And uh, this coming month, February, the bonus is going to be the bonus for everyone is going to be Ocarina of Time. I almost said Ocarina Traveler, uh, like Octopath, um, which is kind of weird. Uh, But I'm very excited for that. We'll be playing the 3DS version for that one but i might i might play a little bit of the n64 one just to like have a point of reference 
have but you I'm very seen excited to talk about that with you. That uh, that modded version that people have been talking about. Yeah, well, it's like the boat of something. Let me look. Ship it up. of Harkanian, which people seem to like a lot. It's essentially the N64 version with a bunch of quality of life improvements. Um, yeah, that uh, seems really interesting and apparently runs really well on the Steam Deck. Oh, um, which I've been kind of curious about as somebody who's been playing my Steam Deck docked on the TV a lot more recently. But uh, I'm already far enough in the 3DS one that I'll probably just finish yeah, it there. I, I would like to spend a bit of time with Ship of Harkinian just to like shadow it out on that episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm very, very excited to talk about that game with you. I think we're going to do, we have a lot of Zelda plans this year, which is exciting. We really do have a lot of Zelda plans this year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but but here we are. Uh, Cool. Okay. Well, that sounds like it. <laughs> cool. Okay. You sound like you sound like a Persona 4 character who just got an item used on them. Like, thanks. You know, just like that's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for listening. We love you. Goodbye. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. It uh it was it was Oblivion. It was the Elder Scrolls Oblivion. That's the one it's the one we didn't say. All right. PWG, the worst garbage, the online.